ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Looking back in time can help scientists decipher what to expect from our future. And today's speaker uses an unexpected tool to peer into the past. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. Chelsea Long is here to tell us what ice cores can teach us about Australia's climate history and future. So I want you to imagine that you are a water droplet in a supercooled cloud. You're agitated, you're cold, you're shivering. Now, all of a sudden, a dust or dirt particle slams into you, and this becomes the surface that allows you to start growing ice on, and you grow and grow, and you become a snowflake. So now you're heavy with this ice, right? So you start to fall out of the sky due to gravity. Now you've landed in Antarctica. This is great, right? Because it's cold, so you're not going to melt. But there's still snow falling on top of you, right? So it's getting heavier and harder to hold your snowflake shape and you start to lose it. You deform with this compaction and pressure from the overlying snowfall layers. And all of a sudden, you get squished together from this compaction, right? So your edges become sealed. And if I could, I would push you all together. (laughs) And even if we did that right here, right now, there would still be gaps in between each and all of you. We can measure these gaps. They contain greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane. We can also measure that dust or dirt particle that slammed into you. That's going to tell me about global climate forcings as well as human influences. And then we can also look at you yourselves as this frozen snowflake. That's going to tell us the temperature that you fell. So hot or cold, summer versus winter. And this gives ice an age. Now you are all part of the ice sheet. So how do I get a sample of you? Well, we drill an ice core. So to drill an ice core, you have to go onto the ice sheet and drill down continuously into the same hole. And the further you drill down, the older that ice becomes and the thinner those snowfall layers. And then we have to bring you up to the surface in the core barrel. And we have to turn that drill barrel horizontally and very lightly tap it along its length. And that's because when you drill down, it of course grinds up the ice around it and holds the ice core in place. Once we've done that, you very carefully take the ice core out, sit it in the V channel, we cut it into one metre lengths, and then we need to log the ice core. Now, logging the ice core is very important because it's all the same colour, right? So we can't tell top from bottom. So we have to measure the length of the ice core. We're looking for any breaks. We're looking for damage to it. Maybe you got a long gouge in the side of it when you pulled it out of the ice core barrel. We're also looking for clear bands. Once we've done this, we then put them into labelled bags, store them in nice cosy boxes and ship or fly them back to Australia. But getting to these sites uh, is not so comfortable for the rest of us, unlike the ice cores in their nice little boxes. Let's take Law Dome, for example. It is Australia's claim to fame in the climate and ice core community. It's located 120 kilometres inland from Casey Station. And to get there, you go in a box on tractor wheels, and they're called Haglans. They're like a Swedish-designed cab for traversing across the snow. 
Now, just as the ocean goes back and forth across the sand and creates ripples, so too does the wind to the surface of the ice. And these ripples are called sestrugi. And as you go across the sestrugi in the Hagland, you get bounced up and down repeatedly. And the only way I can describe it is like being stuck in a ping pong ball for 10 hours because you can only go 40 kilometres an hour at a time. <laughs> but sleeping at Lordome is another experience again because you do your science in summer, so it's constant daylight. So you're going to want to pull your beanie down over your eyes so you can get any kind of dark to sleep. But... It's also minus 20 degrees and you're sleeping in a tent on the ice, but it's quite toasty because you have a foam mat, a sheepskin rug, you've got an outer sleeping bag, an inner sleeping bag, a bag made of thermal, and then you yourself are in thermals. And anything you want to wear the next day, like your down gear, has to go inside your sleeping bag. This includes your pee bottle and your water bottle. And if you leave them outside of the sleeping bag like I did, then they freeze completely solid and you have to do the walk of shame to the kitchen tent to defrost them the next day. <laughs> now, it's here in Australia, in Hobart, Tasmania, where we process these ice cores. And again, I work in minus 20 degrees and you can often see me jumping around in the freezer looking like a bumblebee. This is not only because the down gear that I've got on is black and bright yellow, but also because jumping helps get the heat to my extremities and also the hot air that I produce is a great insulator. The next thing I have to do is over my thermal gloves is wear cow bum gloves. These are the exact same ones that vets use four cow bums, but they're great because they go all the way up your arm and they help protect the ice from contamination. Now, the next thing I have to do is re-log these bad boys because they might have been damaged during transport. And the ice that's taken from the surface, they're really delicate and fragile and they can break very easily. But the ice further down below is very hard, it's compacted, it's denser, so they're much more easier to handle. And once I'm happy with where the damage is and the shape of the core, we draw, with just using a pencil, a length, a line, a length along the ice core, and this acts as a guide when we're cutting it. Cutting the ice core involves a bandsaw. It's the same that butchers use, and we cut it into all different shapes and sizes. None of the ice core goes to waste. One piece goes to archive, because if something happens, and it kind of sometimes does, you've always got a sample that you can go back to. Another part is used to date the ice core, because anything else you find, if you can't give it an age, it is pretty much useless. Other parts go to laboratories on the mainland and overseas because we might not have all the scientific equipment here in Tasmania to analyse everything like gases. And lastly, we have the middle part. It's the cleanest part of the ice core and it's the part that I work with. I have to further process this piece down into five centimetre pieces and then I melt it and I analyse it using iron chromatography. Iron chromatography is along the same lines as those high school experiments we all had to do where you put the marker to a piece of paper and you bleed out the different colours. We do the same thing with the melted sample. We're just bleeding out impurities, these dust and dirt particles that slammed onto you and allow you to become a snowflake. And we're going to focus on these because they're really important. 
we can find out lots of different things like sea ice extent. We can look at bushfires. We can look at radioactive waste, volcanic events and solar activity. But interestingly, we can also reconstruct regional rainfall over Australia. Now, this is incredibly important because currently water managers across Australia only use 150 years worth of instrumental data to model water catchments and to look at drought and flooding extremes. If they include the ice core record in their modelling, they can go back thousands of years and they can see new insights into Australia's natural hydrological cycle. So let's take droughts, for example. The worst drought we consider to be on record is the Millennium Drought. It was between 1997 and 2009. It lasted 13 years and it hit southeastern Australian communities really hard. It increased bushfire risk. It had massive agricultural losses, which led to economic loss as well. But if we look at the ice core record, we can see that the worst drought happened between 1174 and 1212 AD. It was a mega drought that lasted 39 years. And there are several more of these droughts in the ice core record. So it starts to raise the question, right, that if mega droughts are normal for Australia and using the ice core record, we can see that Australia is mostly dry and then occasionally it gets a little bit wet, like the flooding that we've just seen, then what will these mega droughts look like under hotter and drier conditions due to climate change? It scares me that these mega droughts happened before the Industrial Revolution in the 1700s, before human influence was kicking off. So this is why I love ice cores, because they can show us these changes to the Earth's climate, these deep time changes that we simply cannot see in a single generation. But they don't just inform, they can actually be applied through avenues like water policy to help us navigate climate change impacts. Antarctica connects us in silent and complex ways and it's about time that we start utilising Antarctic science that has national relevance because it is simply the right thing to do. Thank you. That was PhD candidate and ice core technician Chelsea Long from the University of Tasmania. Chelsea was speaking at our Occam's Razor live show at Willie Smith's Appleshed in Lutruwita, Tasmania. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'll be back with some more cool science next week. G'day, I'm tech reporter James Pertul. I've watched AI go from the fringes of science. You hear that? It's like Anya or something. To being everywhere. Completely putting my faith in technology. It's writing essays. That would count as cheating. Driving my brother around. The car just arrived. And wrongly putting people in jail. He's like, so that's not you? And I'm like... No. So how did we get here? And where's next? In the new series of Science Friction, I'm finding out. Science Friction, 5pm Sundays on RN or anytime on the ABC Listen app.